0: Brazilians are heading to the polls in November to elect new mayors and city councillors in each of the country's 5,500 municipalities. These non-federal midterm elections often allow us to test the popularity of a sitting president, while also setting the stage for the general election in two years' time. The logic is that parties with more mayors and city councillors We'll also have more muscle to campaign in smaller cities for their candidates for governor and, of course, for president. And for decades, that assumption was correct. Campaigning in Brazil has always depended a lot on traditional meet and greets. Like you, the Having a local representative on your side meant you would have energy across the map which in a country as big as Brazil often meant the difference between winning and losing. But things have changed. For one, the role of social media has drastically altered how campaigns work. In 2018, Jair Bolsonaro was just a rogue congressman without support from any party besides his own. And he heavily relied on social media to win hearts and minds and become the anti-left candidate. Brazil, de tudo which was enough to win him the presidency. But the pandemic has also changed the dynamics in electoral politics. The way the political establishment will face the financial crisis ensuing from the COVID-19 debacle will be key to determining who will win the 2022 presidential race. And that will depend on which measures the government manages to pass through Congress. And that, in turn... Makes the election for House Speaker and Senate President all the more important. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro. I'm the editor in chief of the Brazilian Report. This is the Explaining Brazil podcast. With the pandemic raging in Brazil, backstage political negotiations between parties had taken a backseat. But they've raged back into the news this week. Ewan Marshall, editor of The Brazilian Report, tell us why.
1: Hi, Gustavo.
0: Well, what's happened
1: this week is we've seen an important split in Brazil's biggest congressional bloc, which is a group known as the Centrão, or in English, the Big Center.
0: Our readers will already be familiar with that name, but uh, for anyone not completely up to speed with the inner workings of Brazilian politics, can you indulge us?
1: Sure. Well, the big centre is an unofficial bloc in Congress. It doesn't you know, technically exist. They don't have an office. They don't have a Twitter account. But the name represents a long-held federation of almost a dozen political parties, which at one point combined for almost half of the lower house's 513 seats.
0: That's the big in the bloc's big centre name. Indeed. But the centre part is a bit misleading, right?
1: Right, it is. So, despite the name, the big centre aren't centrists. It's a hodgepodge of conservative, centre-right and right-wing parties, dating back to the Constituent Assembly, which operated in Brazil between 1986 and 1988, which is when the country returned to democracy. Basically, with the dictatorship over, Brazil had to come up with a new constitution. And at that time, the big center was a coalition that was set up to prevent what these political forces saw as a potential left-wing wave in Brazil.
0: Yeah, exactly. I explained that in a special podcast series we did in 2018 on the Constitution's 30th anniversary. Listeners can find that in our feed and I'll also link to it in the show's notes. Basically, the government of the time was extremely unpopular and demobilized and the center left profited from that lack of coordination to pass an avalanche of progressive reforms. So many conservative groups saw their interests being threatened and decided to form a coalition to counterattack this wave.
1: But of course, just a couple of years removed from a dictatorship, no one wanted to call themselves right wing, hence the name Big Center. And so this group is usually made up of politicians who are not hardcore ideologues instead actually they are like horse trading pragmatists who are willing to negotiate with any president in exchange for favors and over the years they've lent their support to any government willing to pay the price and typically these representatives of the big center handed second and third level positions in the executive which allows them to oversee big budgets in areas that offer potentially great electoral returns. So, in the past, these parties have supported the center-right liberal Fernando Henrique Cardoso, the center-left president Lula, and conservative president Michel Temer. And now, they are Jair Bolsonaro's new bedfellows.
0: Yeah, and in Bolsonaro's case, getting close to the big center represented a significant U-turn, because the bloc is everything the president had dismissed as being the old way of doing politics. And 67% of the Brazilian electorate is actually opposed to his closing up with the center.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, besides the big center, Bolsonaro has no coalition. And without these parties, he can't pass anything in Congress. I mean, as a matter of fact, the government was hardly able to approve anything important in the last 18 months. The two main bills that were passed, which were the pension reform and the new sanitation regulations, these were almost exclusively negotiated between lawmakers. They were passed, I would say, despite the government instead of with the government.
0: Which brings us back to this week.
1: Yeah, because life has just gotten a bit harder for the Bolsonaro administration. After managing to get into bed with the big centre, two major parties of the bloc, which are Democratas and the Brazilian Democratic Movement Party, they've officially parted ways with the group, meaning that they and their 60 plus seats will no longer be a part of the big centre and Jair Bolsonaro's coalition. And later on in the week, another four parties announced that they were jumping ship to form their own congressional bloc. These were the Brazilian Labour Party, the Social Christian Party, the Social Liberal Party and the rather pompously named Republican Party of the Social Order.
0: And what does that mean?
1: Well, it depends, because these parties are saying that they will now be, quote, independent from the bloc, which was technically already the case, so the gesture was more symbolic and it signals some moves on the chessboard around the election for the
0: House Speaker early next year. Well, uh, isn't it jumping the gun a bit? I mean, we still have half of 2020 to go, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Well, actually, the current crisis makes it all the more
1: important, because with the pandemic and the massive economic recession on the horizon, the role of Congress is going to be pivotal in Brazil. And the Speaker, he essentially runs the legislative branch. He or she has huge powers in deciding what goes to a vote and what doesn't and when. So, if it's in the Speaker's interests, you know, they can kill or they can fast-track specific proposals.
0: What is the state
1: of the race? Well, the current Speaker, Rodrigo Maya, he won't be running. He's already served two consecutive two-year terms and, you know, that only happened through exploiting a loophole. So, you know, changing the rules a second time would be politically challenging.
0: Right. But he will play a key role in his succession, right? Definitely. And actually, this
1: split in the big centre is proof of that, because Maya is a member of the Demócratas party, which is one of the ones who have gone independent, and that's because the leader of the big centre, who is the congressman named Arthur Lira, he is openly running for the speaker's chair himself. But now Maya wants to use his own political capital, which is sizable, to get one of his own allies to succeed him.
0: So Maya was in the big centre until very recently. Why has he decided to break up with the band?
1: Well, he has been at odds with President Jair Bolsonaro and Economy Minister Paulo Gedges for some time now, and Artur Lira, his, you know, wannabe successor, He's become a sort of unofficial whip for the government in the House.
0: Yeah, I see.
1: And there's another element to this, because Demócratas, which is Rodrigo Maya's party, as we mentioned, the party is poised to be on a presidential ticket in 2022, potentially naming the vice presidential candidate to team up with an ally, which could be João Doria, the Sao Paulo governor who was elected on Bolsonaro's coattails, but he's quickly become a fierce opponent of the president. And, you know, there are some people saying that the ticket could even be led by former Justice Minister Sergio Moro, depending on how polls evolve. And, you know, there are two frontrunners for that VP slot. You've got Maya himself, even though he's not very popular with voters, but he has enormous approval among business elites. And the other? Yeah, the other would be Luis Enrique Mandeta, who is the former health minister who was fired by Jair Bolsonaro at the start of the pandemic back in April.
0: But what is funny is that Mandetta himself is throwing his name in the hat. Normally, politicians play coy and let others urge them to run.
1: Yeah, and while Mandetta was, for a brief moment, the most popular figure in the government, it's uncertain whether he will detain any sort of political capital, enough for a national run in two years' time. Because, you know, it's worth remembering that he didn't even run for Congress in 2018 because he was afraid he wouldn't even get elected in his home state of Mato Grosso do Sul.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And tell me, what will be on the next speaker's lap? Well, the
1: biggest project right now is the tax reform. There are three proposals in Congress, and we explained all of them in depth on our website but the most crucial issue regards the emergency salary that's being paid out to vulnerable populations during the pandemic
0: and we'll have more on that after the break explaining brazil will be right back hey there my name is laura kiran
1: i'm the co-founder of the brazilian report we receive tons of emails and messages of listeners who appreciate this show If you are one of them, then I have something to ask you. Please, rate our show with 5 stars and don't forget to share it with your friends and co-workers. Many people write us asking how they can support this show. The best way is by subscribing to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. You can enjoy a 7-day free trial and subscription plans start at only $3.90 per month. That's cheaper and healthier than a Big Mac go to brazilian.report/subscribe
0: So Iwan, you were mentioning the emergency salary
1: yes yeah, so to deal with the pandemic the government had proposed a handout to vulnerable populations of 200 reais for 3 months and that's about 40 US dollars a month so you know really not a lot of money And then Congress put pressure on the government to raise the payment to 500 reais a month and not wanting to be shown up, the Bolsonaro administration itself set this benefit at 600 reais a month. And you know, the money has been extremely important for Brazilians in coping with the crisis. And we should remember that the Brazilian economy is extremely informal. And once these quarantine measures came into play, we saw millions of people lose their entire sources of income overnight.
0: Right, and how many people received this benefit?
1: So, some 43% of Brazilian homes received it in July, according to figures from the Brazilian Institute of Geography and Statistics. And according to economist Daniel Doki, who has been on the show before, the aid managed to lift 5.5 million people out of extreme poverty after just a couple of months. And he also affirms that Brazil's extreme poverty rate dropped to its lowest level since the 1980s at around 3.3% of the population.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: it's really quite impressive. And the thing is, 600 reais doesn't sound like much. And, you know, it isn't if you think about it. But for millions of people, it's more than they've ever seen in a single month. And also you bear in mind that the benefit is doubled for single mothers. As a comparison, the famous Bolsa Familia welfare transfer program, that pays around five times less per family than this emergency aid.
0: But the government had said on multiple occasions that there's not enough money to keep it going for more than a few months, right?
1: Well, yeah, but here's where it gets interesting. Because until the pandemic, the Bolsonaro administration was adamantly opposed to cash transfer programs. A Bolsa Familia, which we mentioned, was a world-renowned initiative The Bolsonaro administration was cutting that back to the bone between 2019 and early 2020. But this emergency salary had a huge impact on President Bolsonaro's approval ratings. How big? Well, the president has miserably failed to manage the COVID-19 crisis, and his rejection rate skyrocketed to 50% at one point. But with the emergency aid, we're starting to see a shift of his base. He's now losing support among business elites, but he's growing more popular precisely with the segments that rejected him the most in the first place, which are lower income voters with lower levels of education. And latest polls show that the president is favoured to win in the 2022 election against any opponent. Now, of course, it's far too early to speak about a vote that is two and a half years before the ballots are cast. But just months ago, people were pondering whether Bolsonaro would even finish his term. And now, the possibility of an eight-year presidency seems, you know, more realistic than ever. And this has led Bolsonaro to change his views on cash transfer programs. The government has announced its intention to create a replacement for Bolsa Familia. The program would be called Henda Brasil, or, you know, Income Brazil. And it seems like an attempt to rebrand it and kind of boost the aid that each family can get.
0: And in which stage is that project? Well, so far we only have a sort of
1: letter of intention from the administration. Much has been written about it in the press, but no actual project has been presented yet. And judging from the government's track record, it could be a while until we see anything being close to ready.
0: Well, that delays time we can't borrow. I mean... Extreme poverty rates will certainly go up if the government stops with the emergency salary before putting in a replacement protection system for vulnerable people.
1: Yeah, and when poverty spikes, presidential popularity usually does the opposite.
0: In other words, putting in place an aid system to help poor Brazilians could be the president's ticket to re-election, and taking it away could be his demise.
1: That's what it seems like right now.
0: Ewan, thank you. Thank you. If you like explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars that will help more people find out about this show. Or you can go and sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you free access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro, And we will see you back here next week.